This morning, I've entitled my message, Should Women Be Silent in Church? So, happy Women's Day to all the women. <laughs> this message is not just for you, this message is for the men as well. So, men, don't switch off. This message is for all of us. Amen? Uh, uh, you know, th th there's a lot of passages in the Bible um, which kind of appear to be anti-woman. Um, or oppressive towards women. And so this morning, I, I, I feel like it's important for us to kind of address this since it's Women's Day weekend. I feel it's important for us to address this and to see what is God's heart con concerning women and especially women in leadership, women in ministry um, and all of that. Um, so Today, we're not really speaking on why women should be silent in church, but should women be silent in church? We're going to start off in Galatians 3.28 uh, from the New American Standard Bible. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we are all one in Christ Jesus. The passage, uh, the Passion Translation puts that as, we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or, or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ. There is no distinction between us. Okay, so the church by and large worldwide and Grace Life is not what it should be because of centuries of oppressive, uh, I'll even call it demonic doctrine, which has prevented women from shining like women have, were created to, to shine. Okay, now, you know, uh, uh, in, in church circles, it's easier for men to, to kind of step into their calling and, and release the giftings that God's put on them. But because of demonic doctrine, and I call it demonic because it's just demonic. Anything which isn't of God, you know, uh, uh, like this, which is anti-God even, would be demonic. Okay. Um, I call it that because we need to kind of realize that this isn't a, um, a gray area. This is a black and white area. And we need, you know, because we're not embracing the truth of the word, it, it prevents us from walking in the freedom and the fruitfulness that God's got for us. So if you have, you know, women, every single one of you have gifts in you that God's given you. Okay, men, we, we know that we can see that in them. God's got a calling on every woman's life. And the church is suffering because we're not uh, uh, um, experiencing what a lot of women have inside of them. They, they're just keeping it to themselves, maybe because they're feeling oppressed. Okay, so there's a largely a deficiency in churches around the world because women aren't using what God's put inside of them. So Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Society has made great pro progress in liberating women, okay, but it goes to an extreme uh, and in saying that both sexes can do anything, you know, kind of like anything a man can do, a woman can do, and maybe even better. And, you know, th that's not the heart of this message this morning. That's not the heart of God. You know, the Bible shows us that um, uh, uh, we are completely equal, men and women. Okay. Uh, 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 and in the church, men and women can have any leadership position. Now that goes against a lot of things that I grew up with. <laughs> a lot of things that I've studied, that goes against it, but stick with me. Okay. No one is exempt from leadership in the church. And you're not exempt from leadership just because of your gender. You're not exempt or, and you're not, um, uh, uh, have, you don't have access to leadership in the church just because of your gender. Okay, we're not, now, now, now let me just highlight and say we're talking about leadership in the church, leadership even in government and things like that. 
we're not talking about marriage this morning. So, you know, in marriage, we're equal, but we have different roles. We're equal in importance, but we have different functions, different roles. I'm not talking about marriage this morning. Please don't apply this to marriage. Okay, there is some things that you can apply to marriage, but we're focusing on ministry. We're focusing on leadership. Okay, when the Bible, uh, when studying the Bible, okay, we need to always look at things in context. I heard uh, someone say that if you take the, the, the text out of the context, you're only left with a con. <laughs> so when studying, we can't just take verses one by one out of the scriptures and out of the Bible and start to um, just build doctrine or beliefs around them. We, you know, a verse is in a book. We need to understand the context of that book or that letter in the New Testament. Who was it written to? Uh, why was it written? When was it written? Why was it written? We've got to ask ourselves a whole bunch of questions so that we understand the context. Otherwise, we're going to get into deception. Okay, and we're going to look at this more um, in, a, in a moment uh, later on. Um, but I just wanted to start off by saying that. Okay, so Isaiah 60 verse 1, New American Standard Bible says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Okay, so now this is a prophecy. The glory of the Lord is no longer rising upon you. It's in you. The hope of glory is in you. Okay, so now therefore there's no excuse for you, ladies. And gentlemen, there's no excuse for us. So what prevents us from rising up and shining and being all that God's called us to be and living in the fullness of His purposes for our lives? Well, firstly, bondage, well, bondage is what keeps us down. Keeping, uh, being held down is bondage, okay? Bondage comes through wrong doctrine. It comes through traditions of men. It comes through culture. And then another thing which, which uh, is holding us back is passivity, which is birthed through wrong doctrines, through traditions of men and through culture. We've got to make sure that we're not holding on to traditions of men and cultural standards and wrong doctrine, but that we know why we believe what we believe and we can see it in the word in its full context. You know, we've got to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. We don't just take the Bible at, uh, 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 you know, if you just take the Bible at face value, you're going to be heading for deception. You, you know, some, some scriptures are difficult to understand, which means you've got to dig deeper to understand the context. 1 Timothy 1, 3-4 from the Passion, it says, As I urged you when, you left, uh, uh, when I left for Macedonia, I'm asking you to remain in Ephesus to instruct them not to teach or follow error of deceptive doctrines, nor pay any attention to cultural myths, traditions, or endless study of genealogies. Those digressions only breed controversies and debates. They are devoid of the power that builds up and strengthens the church in faith. Okay, so now the point with that verse, uh, why I put that in there, is for a number of reasons. Firstly, some of the scriptures against, which are seemingly against women in leadership or in leadership in the church context, are in one of the books of Timothy. And so now we're looking at the context of Paul writing to Timothy, okay? And he starts off his letter uh, by saying basically that we are conditioned by what we believe. If it's wrong beliefs, whether they're cultural beliefs, myths, traditions, etc., those wrong beliefs limit us from reaching our potential and fulfilling our destiny. That's why what you believe is so important. Okay, Wrong beliefs limit us, but the right beliefs, they build us up and they strengthen us in the faith. They don't strengthen us in performance. It strengthens us in the faith, which leads to fruitfulness. 
Okay, so now we're looking at the role of women in church and in leadership. And I want to start off uh, 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 the next section just by reading a quote from Catherine Booth, which is the co-founder of the Salvation Army. And she says, Oh, that the ministers of religion would search the original records of God's word in order to discover whether the general notions of society are not wrong on this subject and whether God has really intended women to bury her gifts and talents as she now does. That's the sad reality is that there's so many women in the church who are just burying their gifts, their callings, their talents, and they're not using them to expand the kingdom, to bless other people and for the glory of God. This morning, I want to share with you truth that will set you free to shine. Amen. So a lot of people accuse, especially feminists, accuse the Bible or Christianity and the church of being anti-female, of being oppressive towards women. But if, you know, let's ask the question, does God really hate women? No. You know, did the apostle disrespect a uh, 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 woman uh, in his New Testament writings? No, we've got to understand context. So many years, let's, let's look at this, many years before the time of King David, Israel was enslaved by the Canaanites. Okay? And the Israelites had once again walked away from God and they were enslaved. And Deborah, who's a woman, okay, the, she's a prophetess. Okay, that's another important point to, to, to remember. Deborah, the prophetess, was recognized as the national leader among the Hebrew people. Okay, um, the Lord directed her. So the Lord spoke to her, the leader, a woman, to bring Israel out of slavery. So Deborah prophesies over a man named Barak uh, that he was to gather a volunteer army of 10,000 men to fight for freedom. She also provided the, the, his battle strategy and assured him victory. Okay, Judges 4, 8 to 9, it, says, it tells us the story of the response after this. And Barak said to her, if you, go, if you will go with me, then I will go. If, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay, now what is he doing? She gave him the strategy. She assured him of victory. She prophesied it. He could have gone off, got the victory, taken the credit, and that would have been it. Many men would have done that, you know, to, to kind of get the upper hand of a, over a woman. But Barak was very honorable and, and insisted on her coming with so that he didn't have the, the, the credit for, for this because she was the one who, get, you know, through God, gave the, or God gave her the, the plan and, and she gave it to him. So verse 9, she says, Surely I will go with you, nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on this journey that you're about to take. The Lord will tell Sisera, uh, in, uh, will, will sell Sisera, sorry, into the hands of a woman. And then Deborah went, uh, arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So this is just showing us, you know, Barak had no obligation to honor Deborah. He could have kept honor for himself, but he chose to share it with Deborah. Okay, now the church, in this, you know, let's just look at the, uh, what's happening in the church today. We have many Deborahs in church, Deborahs, who are, have been honoring men for centuries. Okay, for a long time, they've been honoring men. And um, now it's time for the barracks in the church to rise up and help make a way for women to, 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 to rise up and fulfill their purpose in the church. You know, at Grace Life, we've never been, we've never devalued women. We've never been oppressive towards women in leadership or, or against it or whatever. But, you know, I haven't publicly taught on this and uh, everybody's come from, from a cultural background, from a religious background, from a doctrinal standpoint. And maybe in this area, we haven't been walking in the freedom because I haven't addressed it. And so I'm addressing it. 
Okay, because we want, you know, for years we've been asking what's wrong with the woman. Now, don't, don't take offense, but what's wrong with the woman? Where are the woman leaders? You know, just because Marna is married to me doesn't mean she should lead the women's ministry. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, she's in ministry, she's active, but it doesn't mean she should be leading a women's ministry. It's, she's in ministry with me and together we minister. But the point is, is that... Um, I think because of us holding on to previous uh, uh, um, beliefs, cultural standards and things like that, um, especially in our context of, of, of the South African culture, I think there's a large leadership vacuum with regard to women in leadership in, in our church. And I'm here to, today to say, women, it's time to rise up. Men, it's time for us to affirm the callings and the giftings on, on, the, on our women in the church. And it's time for us to clear a path for them to be able to rise up. Like Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So it's time to, 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 to let, let's embrace the truth and walk in the freedom and the fruitfulness that God's got for us. Now, Please, God, help me to get through everything I need to get through this morning. And uh, that there's so much I need to share with you about this that I'm really only skimming the surface. I'm not going too deep with you, although this is going to be deep. Uh, but I want to encourage you, go and study it out further if you want. Um, now, I've got a, an hour and a half teaching on this, which uh, uh, we'll make available. And, and, and it'll go into a bit more depth on the, the issue as well. Um, but let's just think about Jesus and the way that he led the way for women. Okay, if we read through the Gospels and our, with our modern day culture, our Western mindset, we miss a very striking thing. How Jesus uh, uh, went against culture, how he went against the traditions of men. And through his actions, he elevated women to a place of honor. Okay, um, you know, we need to think about the Greek, Roman, Jewish culture of that time and how for centuries women were devalued. Now, if you don't know, if, if you know, we read the Bible and we just think there's no problem with Jesus having Mary and Martha's friends or talking to them and things like that or talking to the Samaritan woman. But if you know, if you want to understand the cultural context, think about the Arab world today and how they treat women. You know, women have to cover up women. Some women in some countries, women can't drive cars. You know, they're treated as possessions, um, you know, to buy that can be bought and sold. Women don't have a really high place of value in a lot of cultures still. And that's kind of what it was like in Jesus's day. And Jesus came in and greatly impacted a culture by the way he valued women through his actions, through his teachings. He raised the standard of women, the value to new heights. And this obviously just blew everything out of the water. Now, there's many things I can say about this, but I just want to talk about the Samaritan woman at the well found in, recorded in John chapter 4. Okay, We don't think of any problem, but Jesus went against two cultural um, um, foundations or cultural things in, in this, this uh, uh, passage of Scripture. Firstly, there was a lot of racism from Jews towards Samaritans. So Jesus encountering and speaking to and, and ministering to a, a Samaritan was a huge issue. It, was, it went against the, the, the racial prejudice that a lot of Jews had or the Jews had against the Samaritans. And then secondly, to talk to a woman was, was, was out of the question like this too. You know, he started a conversation with, women, with, with a lady in public. And, you know, the rabbinic or oral law, which is, okay, the Jews had a written law, the Ten Commandments and all of that. Then they also had an oral law, um, which is, was not written down or found in the, the, um, the five books of Moses, um, in the law in the, the Old Testament. But one of the, um, the oral uh, laws was, was this. 
He who, who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. And another uh, um, uh, oral law in their culture was one is not so much as to greet a woman. So Jesus really, you know, counted a lot of um, cultural and religious traditions of the time. Okay, so it's important for us to realize that just by Jesus' existence, he elevated the value of women. He was trying to restore it, I believe. Um, and he did restore the value of women. So, you know, two of Jesus' closest friends were Mary and Martha, the, brother, the, the, the sisters of Lazarus. And um, they entertained him in his home. Now think about the context there. Martha assumed the traditional female role of preparing a meal for Jesus, her guest. Okay, while her sister Mary did only what men would do sit at Jesus' feet and learn. That wasn't the place for women. But Jesus even violated uh, 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 the traditions and everything by speaking to her, by ministering to her, by teaching her. And uh, the, the, the oral law says, uh, let the words of the law, the Torah, be burned rather than taught to a woman. So you can just see that, that they really were oppressive towards women. And we have to understand why. So it all begins in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, so stick with me here. Right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we see the battle of the sexes being birthed. Um, so let's see where it all started from. It says from 1 to 13, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You will surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and, and, and that it was a delight to the eyes and, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves uh, together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard you. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave, uh, she gave me uh, from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? What is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so this is an interesting passage. And you know, after this, God places a curse upon the serpent, a curse upon the woman, and a curse upon the ground that, that Adam would be working, that Adam would be tending to. And the curse that was placed upon the woman is the curse that caused the gender war. Okay, what was the curse put on women? We can see it in Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now this is difficult to understand. So we have to focus on the word uh, uh, desires because this is an, a statement of action and reaction. Okay, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Okay, <coughs> so how, we can only understand this if we focus on the word desire, which 
On closer inspection of the Hebrew word desire, we see that God is really saying a woman's desire will be to gain the upper hand over her husband. But because she's the weaker vessel, and we'll talk about that hopefully in a moment, her husband will put her down by force if needs be. So the curse is essentially that women will lose the battle of the sexes. And history kind of just proves this time and time again. Okay, you know, as I said, up until till now, uh, women have been treated very badly in some cultures, bought and sold as property, um, you know, and, 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 and worse things. And so cultures around the world do not value women like God values women. Okay, and Jesus came to change that. But now we see it, Adam, after the curses have been released, Adam names his wife. Okay, up until now, the, the, the woman is only referred to as the woman. Okay, um, and now Adam names her Eve. Now, we, we kind of can look at that as insignificant, but there's a significance here because Adam named his, Eve, his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Previously, Adam had been given dominion over you know, all the animals, the birds, the fish, over creation, but he was not given dominion over the woman, Eve. Okay, the woman. Um, and so the curse, when, when the curse of suppression came in, Adam named Eve, uh, he named the woman Eve in the same manner that he had named the animals in the garden. He was taking dominion over the woman. Okay, the same way that he took dominion over the animals. And so the curse was applied then and enacted. And God called this a curse because his desire, God's desire was that we would be equals, not that men would have dominion over women or women would have dominion over men. Okay. And then, you know, through history, we see this kind of enacted again and again and again. And in the story of Noah and his sons, we see the same thing. Okay, so you know, in Genesis chapter 6, we see the earth became increasingly wicked and God plans to wipe out the first creation with a worldwide flood and start again with the right, only righteous people on earth, Noah and his family. And then as we skip ahead in the story, God had Noah build an ark and, and um, in preparation for a flood. And then in Genesis chapter 7 verse 7, we see then Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him entered the ark because uh, of the water of the flood. So notice it was Noah and his sons and then the woman that entered the ark. Genesis 7 verse 13, on the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and, Noah and, and Noah's wife and the three wives of, of his sons with them entered the ark. So the men entered and then the woman entered. And then after the flood, flood we see that God speaks to Noah in Genesis chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, and says, it says, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives. So this shows us God, that the, the earth was wicked. Part of the wickedness was the oppression of women. Okay, and now God has, has you know, destroyed the earth of the flood and is wanting to start over again. And he intended to bring them out uh, as couples walking in equality and unity. He was trying to, 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 to redeem gender equality. Okay, but unfortunately, Noah did not obey this. He held on to his um, cultural traditions. Okay, and in Genesis 8, 18, we see, so Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. So God wanted to restore, but because of man's disobedience, he could not. But 
Thank God for Jesus. Everyone say, thank God for Jesus. <laughs> thank God for Jesus because he is the ultimate redeemer. In Galatians uh, 3, 26 to 28, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's speaking to the woman as well. We are all sons of God. Okay, through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 27, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Jesus came to redeem all humanity from every curse, including the curse incurred by Adam and Eve in the garden of gender uh, um, inequality. Okay, And because we've been placed in Christ now, Christ has been placed inside of us. It doesn't matter whether we are a Jew, a slave, a, a female or a Greek. All in Christ are equal. Okay, If you, can, if you were to be able to see the, the, the church this morning from God's perspective, He doesn't see a, a black, white, male, female. He doesn't even really see age. Okay, He sees He's looking at us at the heart, okay? Like 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. He's looking at your heart. He's seeing Christ, okay? He's, he, um, he's not judging us like the world judges us. He's not judging us like culture judges us, okay? Um, in Genesis chapter 3, the, uh, uh, the, or should I say the Genesis chapter 3 curse, um, never said that women were going, were, were going to be accursed of God. Okay? The curse wasn't, but it wasn't an um, inequality or a problem from God to woman. It, the curse changed the way that men and women interacted with each other. Okay, And in Christ, that curse of Genesis is completely removed and women have been restored to equality. Okay, There's neither Jew nor uh, non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with him. There's no distinction between us. And that's important for us to realize. So let's just have a look at Paul now in the New Testament. Now there's a principle of name recognition. We all understand it, even if you don't know what I'm talking about yet. But if I name drop someone... If I mention someone in the church and I say, this is such a, 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 a great Bible teacher, you know, we greatly value them or whatever, many of you will now esteem them higher. We've seen it in the past. We're very careful about who we put at the pulpit in Grace Life and who we recommend. And even, you know, I, I listen to a lot of different teachers and I read a lot of different books from time to time, but, you know, I don't mention their names because some of them have got a lot of garbage as well that they teach. And if I mention their name publicly, a lot of you run off and, and, and listen, devour everything they say and take everything as truth. Whereas I, I discern and I take the good and I leave the bad. And we've all got to mature to that place. But the point is, there's a power in name recognition. Okay, if, if you were watching your favorite Bible teacher on uh, TV and they said, yeah, I was talking to my good friend, friend Shane Holsgrove this week and I would be raised in value for you <laughs> because of the value you have on that individual. And Paul understood this principle. Paul operated on this principle. If you read his letters, <clears throat> he, he doesn't mention every single saint, every single church member by name. He mentions specific people. And I believe it was to give them credibility as well. So in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 to 2, in the New International Reader's Version, it says, I would like to welcome our sister Phoebe. She is a deacon of the church. 
I ask you to receive her as one who belongs to the Lord. Receive her in the same way God's people should. Give her any help she may need from you. She has been a great help to many people, including me. Okay, so <clears throat> here Paul acknowledges a deacon, which is a minister in the church, a minister in the church, and it's a female. Okay, then Paul, in the same chapter, acknowledges Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, um, look at this with me. It says, I greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life uh, risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So look at this. This, this is counterculture. Okay, Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. In our culture even, and in their culture probably more especially, we, we say Mr. and Mrs., Shane and Marna Holsgrove. We don't say Marna and Shane. You know, that's taboo. It's not acceptable in our um, uh, cultural standards. And Paul goes against that, elevating Priscilla even above Aquila for whatever reason, and mentions the wife's name before the husband. That's not incidental. Okay, Paul continues and acknowledges Mary, Tafina, Tafosa, and Persis. Romans chapter 16, verse 6, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. In verse 12, he says, greet Tafina and uh, Tryphosa, those women worked hard for the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis. She is another woman who has worked very hard for the Lord. So now he's mentioning these women and he's mentioning them as friends, as co-workers. He's elevating them to his level. Okay, can you see the value of woman in the word here? A lot of us kind of read over that and don't think about it, but it, it, it's there in black and white for all to see. Then let's just look at a couple examples of women, in le uh, women leaders in the Bible, in the New and Old Testament, but especially in the New. You know, Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Look at this. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. Now, if you just read over that, it means nothing to you. But on closer inspection, Junius or Junia is mentioned as an outstanding apostle. And if you look at that name, some, some translators have tried to make that a masculine name and make it into a, 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 a say it's a man. But if you look at the, the name in the Greek, it is um, got something to do. I can't remember all the details of what I studied out, but it's, it's something to do with um, the fertility goddess. Um, and it's, it's specifically referring to childbirth. Okay, so Junius or Junia is a female. And Paul says, uh, Andronicus and Junia are outstanding among the apostles. So what does that mean, outstanding among the apostles? That means they were together with the apostles, but they were outstanding among the apostles. They were excellent apostles. So a woman is an apostle here. And I mean, I, in my, my frame of thinking growing up and stuff, you know, my belief was against a woman being able to be an apostle. But there you have it. Then, through the Bible, and remember, if it's in the Old Testament, you know, it's only better in the New Testament. So this just shows us that God didn't discriminate in the Old Testament, so he's not going to discriminate in the New Testament. Exodus 15 verse 20 starts off by saying, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister. <laughs> so that's showing that there was a female prophetess, the office of a prophet. 
Judges 4 for Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel, was the leader of Israel at that time. So a female prophetess. Um, 2 Kings 22 verse 14 says, So Hilkiah, the priest, uh, Akam, <laughs> all these big fancy words, uh, names, should I say, Akbor, Shephan, and Asiah went to Hilda, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom. And it goes on. But what I want you to see here is that there's a prophetess mentioned, and it's Hilda. And she's mentioned as the prophetess, the wife of someone. So now you see that um, you know, in, in Scripture, they're not referring to um, Marna, uh, uh, Shane's wife, Marna, who is a pastor. That, the, the Scripture is rather putting it as an, the pastor Marna, who is the husband of Shane. So it's, it's, it's valuing the individual and the gift and the calling on the individual's life. Okay, Luke 2, 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and she had lived with her husband seven years. It goes on. But the point is there's another female prophetess. Now, Acts 2, 17 to 18. And that, was, um, that one was in the, in, in the time of Jesus. Okay, That was found in the Gospels, that one. But Acts 2, 17 to 18. This is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit only on the men. No, it says on everybody. So God's spirit is poured on anybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. Daughters, you can prophesy. And your young men will see visions. Your old men will experience uh, dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon my servants, men and women alike, equal, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. That is an awesome passage of scripture. Yeah, there are other examples as well, but the major point I want to make there is that we are equals, we are co-heirs, we are co-laborers together, men and women. We have different roles in the home, different approaches to life, different viewpoints on life and ministry, but we're equal. Women add, you know, we've got women in leadership. This shows that we've, we're not against women, you know. Um, uh, for example, um, Alicia and Carl are in Albania. And we often refer to them as Alicia and Carl, not Carl and Alicia, not to disrespect Carl, but because Alicia is the pastor of Grace Life Duress. And Carl is in his own right a minister there, but he's not the pastor of the church there. He's supporting his wife and pastoring the church and he is pastoring people, he's shepherding them, but he's not the leader there. In the home, yes, he's the leader, but in the, in the church there, he, he, he's a supporting his wife in leading the church. Okay, so culture may hold, have held you back up until now, ladies, uh, uh, but it's time for you to step out in boldness. You know, since I've, I've shared the, the truth I've already shared, you, then nothing should be holding you back. Okay, so let's look at some troubled verses before we close, because I know that for you Bible scholars listening to me this morning, you're saying, yes, but what about? And you're coming, coming up with some scriptures. And, you know, um, these are scriptures which are, uh, people love to take out of context. So we're going to go into a little bit of depth and looking at the context, and I'm going to uh, go through it as quickly as I can. I'm not going to address all the scriptures that could be addressed, but there are answers for all the scriptures that you would raise there are answers. You just need to seek if I don't get to your question this morning. 1 Peter 3 verse 6 to 7, troubled verse number 1. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well 
and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and uh, as, being, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers not be hindered. And so, you know, you could look at that verse and say, yes, see, wife is to obey husband just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, but just wait, okay? This doesn't mean that the wife cannot speak her mind and have an opinion. Okay, now women, this doesn't give you liberty to disrespect your husband. We should not disrespect each other. Okay, we should have a mutual respect for each other. Um, but you're entitled to uh, um, your opinion. Your God isn't endorsing oppression here. Uh, uh, oppression is not supposed to be in the marriage relationship or in the church. Okay, um, you know, she's... Uh, anyway, so, so the, we're not talking about domination or anything here, because look what Peter's saying here, okay? He's saying, then Sarah said to her husband, so now this is in uh, Genesis, uh, 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 what, what, we, what, he's, what Peter's quoting is from Genesis 16, verse 5 and 6, and it says, then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant, and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. So then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so she fled. And so the point of here is seeing that Abraham let Sarah, Sarai, have her way. Okay, He isn't dominating her like some big shot big chief, like the Malungu, okay? But, but we see that from, from the 16th chapter of Genesis through the, to the 21st chapter, there is an account of disagreement between the two of them. And at its climax, Abraham gives in to his wife. And we see that God doesn't justify him. God justifies her. That's an interesting point. Okay, Genesis 21, 10 to, uh, to 12 says, And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So Abraham is being told by God to listen to his wife. <laughs> Guys, it's a good idea to listen to our wives and not to think that we're the only ones who can hear from God. Okay. Now, there's, there's also been a lot of uh, uh, tendency in the church to view women as unqualified because they're the weaker vessels. They're unqualified for church leadership because they're the weaker vessels. 1 Peter 3, 7, Amplified Bible says, In the same way, you husbands, live, your, live with your wives in an understanding way, with great, with je great gentleness and tact, with an intel intelligent, uh, with an in sorry, with, in with an intelligent uh, regard to the re marriage relationship as with someone physically weaker or a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. Okay, so first of all, Peter's speaking about the husband-wife relationship. It's important for us to see. He's not talking about church relationships. But notice, so you can see that in noticing how he starts off there saying, you husbands. He doesn't say men. Okay, secondly, he tells the husband three things about how to treat his wife. So men take note. Treat her with understanding, gentleness, and tact. Understanding, with honor. It's more than three things. <laughs> honor, respect, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's, that, those are good things. That's a good way to treat your wife. Then he uses the phrase weaker vessel, which can also be translated as someone 
uh, physically weaker. Now the word vessel here is talking about dishware. <laughs> it's talking about plates and cups and bowls and things like this. And it's actually referring to fine china. Okay, so women, what this is saying is that you are fine china, especially in marriage. You are fine china and we need to treat you with gentleness, with respect and consideration. You are very expensive china. You don't just put it in the dishwasher or you shouldn't. You don't just you know, uh, treat it with disrespect, you, you treat it very carefully because of its value. And the scripture here is bringing out the value of women and the way we should treat women is in, uh, is in proportion to their value, which is extremely high. So another troubled verse, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp the authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So without understanding the correct context, it's easy to see how these verses can be used to oppress women. Okay, we need to ask ourselves, who was it written by? What is it regarding? Uh, 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 when was it written? All of this type of stuff, okay? And I'm not going to uh, get into all the detail of it because of time. I just want to kind of touch one or two things. But we need to realize that right teaching leads to right living. And so it makes sense that wrong teaching leads to wrong living. Wrong teaching about women from this verse has led to oppression and mistreatment of women for hundreds of years. So who is this uh, letter being written to? It's Paul's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. And, um, you know, here's what Paul's writing. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 it starts off and it says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Okay, and uh, verse 13 of chapter 5 says, Now at the same time, they may also, they, they also learn to be idle as they go from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, bodies, meddlers and things that do not concern them, talking about things that should not be mentioned. So he, he's, he's, you know, what is this regarding is a good question to ask us. From these ver uh, verses, we can see that there's a major problem in the church of Ephesus where Timothy was. Women were going from house to house and spreading bad teaching, doctrines of demons. Okay, Paul refers to it as that later on. And um, you know, Paul is writing to correct this. That's why he's saying, command certain men not to teach. If you look at that word men, it's, not, it's gender neutral. It's referring to men and women, mankind. So Paul wanted these people silenced, not because of gender, but because of heresy, because of bad teaching. Okay, 1 Timothy 1, 3-4, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that I may command certain persons not to teach false doctrines. The New International Version really puts it beautifully by saying uh, certain persons instead of just men. Okay, another question we need to ask ourselves is, um, is this directive applicable to every person everywhere for all time? He's writing a letter, personal letter. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. So certain things are for Timothy. They're not for us or for the church. We can learn good principles from it, but we shouldn't take everything as for us for now. We have to interpret the context and see what is for us. What is a, a principle or a timeless truth and what was a, a truth just for him or a message just for him. Okay, so for example, Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift of God that was in him when Paul laid his hands on him. Now, obviously, you and I haven't had Paul lay, ha lay hands on us, so we can't um, claim that verse for us, but we can stir up the gift that's in us. 
Okay, there's, a, there's something we can take out of it. Now, Paul is writing this letter to correct bizarre Gnostic heresies, bad teachings that were circulating throughout the region at the time. False teachings that posed, a, it was poison, posed a, a serious threat to the early church. Okay, and um, a, a, a lot of these teachings were breathing an unhealthy attitude amongst the women in Ephesus. This is the context. Okay, and so these women were completely unlearned. They were claiming to be teachers of the law. They were spreading false teachings. They were probably mixing Christian and Jewish teachings with other strange things. And, you know, it's recorded in, in some extra uh, um, biblical manuscripts that, um, and other teachings that, that some even taught that Eve was created before Adam and that she liberated the world when she listened to the serpent. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's why Paul probably in 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14 had to state, um, it was Adam who was created first, then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but woman being deceived fell into transgression. Okay. So we need to take things in context. Then I want to read um, 1 Timothy 2, 12. It says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp um, authority over the man, but to be in silence. I'd, uh, um, the Passion says, I don't advocate that a newly converted woman be teachers in the church, assuming authority over the man. Okay, but uh, so that the Passion puts it in a nice way to, to understand it's not a newly converted woman. That, you know, no new convert, man or woman, should teach. But the phrase there, to have authority over, is talking about forceful and an extremely negative uh, um, aggression. You know, it, it talks about uh, violence. And so Paul's saying that, you know, we shouldn't tolerate uh, women to violently lead in the church, push, force their own agenda, their own way, take authority in a, a rebellious manner. But I mean, that's not just for women. It's not a gender issue. It, it, it's for men and women. But we kind of just put it on the woman because it's addressing a specific situation here where women in the church of Ephesus were doing this. You know, men do this as well. You know, we've had, uh, I've seen in churches men trying to do this and, and I've seen women trying to do this. And it, 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 you know, it's not a gender issue. It's a heart issue. Okay. If you look at Titus 1, 10 to 11, it says, for there are many rebellious men. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those who are, are of the circumcision, must, who must be silenced. And it goes on and says they should not teach. Now, we don't take that verse and say men shouldn't teach in church because we cherry pick. We're taking the scriptures out of context that suits us and we're trying to put it in uh, 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 and make a doctrine. Okay. Another scripture which we have to um, address um, and I've already read it, but it says, Let the woman learn in silence, with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And then it talks about Adam and Eve, and in verse 15 it says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in the faith, and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, this is a bizarre verse. I always joke with Marina that she's saved because we've got two children. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, salvation doesn't save, uh, uh, we're not saved by childbirth. Woman, you're not saved by childbirth, okay? This is just a mistranslation. It's a, it's a problem, it's an error in translation which has caused a lot of confusion, okay? Um, in uh, the Young Literals translation, uh, it translates it beautifully and it says, and she shall be saved through the childbearing if they remain in faith, 
love and sanctification of sobriety. So the word the makes a huge difference. In most translations, it says women shall be saved in childbearing or through childbearing. But the Young Literals translation, which is very, very close to the original uh, version of the Bible, it says the woman. It says she shall be saved through the childbirth, referring to Jesus. Okay, so in other words, what this verse is doing is saying that, yes, Eve was deceived. A woman was deceived. Eve brought all this, these issues because of her deception. But women shall be saved through the childbirth. Men and women are saved through Jesus and through his birth. But it's, Paul's making a specific reference to now through a woman will come the Savior. And so it elevates the value of woman. It's not elevating Mary to the place where we should worship her. She's just a woman, but it's saying that womankind are going to be redeemed or elevated in value because Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, will come through a woman. Okay? Um, and that is really just beautiful. Okay? Um, you know, there, there, there's other, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in two minds if I should go into the next verse or not, but you know, there, there, there's other verses which are, are troublesome. And, um, and I don't have time to get into them, but you know, I believe that from what I've shown you up until now, there's enough evidence to, to kind of prove that God's heart is for equality in the church with regards to men and women. We should not devalue a message because a woman is giving it. You know, women don't just have to teach in Sunday school, teach the kids, or teach the women. You know, women should be able to teach the men, and men should be able to teach the women. And you know, a lot of the scriptures we put into the church context are actually talking about marriage. So we need to learn, you know, I'm not giving you all the answers this morning, but what I am saying is go look at the context, go study it out. Don't just take people's opinions, study it out. Yeah, there are many misunderstandings in scripture, which people hold on to because of ignorance. So don't be ignorant, go and study the word to show yourself approved unto God. Okay. When we read the Bible only at surface level, we will come up with many problems. Okay. And uh, they will lead to bondage. So my encouragement to us this morning is men, firstly, I'm addressing the men. We need to stop adhering to cultural values and holding on to misinterpretations of scripture. And we need to see women as God sees them, equal in importance, equal in value, and able to hold high offices within the church. Ephesians 4, 11 says there's some, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, some means... Only a few of the saints, we're all called to be saints, but a few of the saints will hold those offices. And in scripture, you can see examples of women in every office. Okay, now women, I'm addressing you. Don't allow bad doctrine, whether conscious or subconscious, to restrain you from what God has called you to do. Don't suppress the giftings which God has put in you. We need you to rise up. We need you to co-labor with us so that together we can be effective in our mission to reach the world. Okay? We cannot do, fulfill the Great Commission without you ladies. We need to do this together as co-equals, as partners. Together. Amen.